Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week we've got a review of the third and final season of what's become one of our favorite little shows that could. But could it come to a thunderous conclusion? What's... I'm Jeff Braun. I'll take a look back at the bonus season of Justified we just got and give my newbie perspective on Ahsoka. Plus, I took a look at a movie that was one of the biggest flop busters of the summer, and I'm glad I did because I liked it. But first, one of the best TV treats of the year wrapped up this past week, the return of Timothy Oliphant as U.S. Marshal Raylan Givens in Justified City Primeval. Now just listen to me. I'm Deputy U.S. Marshal Raylan Givens, and I'm offering salvation. Talk to me. Come on, face to face. I am not opening this door. Then, as they say in the Bible, you're screwed. Remember Marshal, welcome to Detroit. Detective, meet Raylan Givens. What's up, Slim? This ought to be good. Got a task force with Detroit PD. You've been special requested. I promised my kid we got a whole road trip planned back to Miami. Wasn't a question. This guy left a trailer from Oklahoma to Detroit. He ain't got cash. We got ourselves a problem. Any information on this dude could help us. Clement Menzel is my client. He's a killer, and he enjoys it. You do your job, and I'll do mine. Justified was a terrific show running six seasons from 2010 to 2015. It followed the adventures of Marshall Givens as he was reassigned from Miami to the area of Kentucky he grew up in. So he had all these run-ins with old friends and enemies and family from back in the day. And it was terrific fun. A lot of kind of crackling dialogue as the show was inspired by the stories of author Elmer Leonard, who writes very fun crime stories. And now, eight years later, Givens is back, but the rest of the show did not come with him. Instead, while on a road trip with his now teenage daughter, played by Oliphant's real-life daughter. He gets caught up in some nasty stuff in Detroit, another one of Elmer Leonard's favorite playgrounds. It was good to have this be a whole separate adventure, just like it was good for that Dexter reboot a couple years ago to plop him into a different location and mostly do away with the characters from the original series. Here, though, I think I did miss the old crew more than I did in that Dexter season. Uh, Walton Goggins as Boyd Crowder topped that list. He was one of the absolute highlights of the original series. Instead, though, with City Primeval, we got a different Boyd, the actor Boyd Holbrook played uh, the big bad Clement Manziel and he was brilliant he's a total unhinged psycho who was incredibly entertaining but also legitimately menacing and this being more of a mini series and a series season of an ongoing show it kind of made him more menacing because there was a very real chance that Raylan or major other major characters could get killed or something a lot of other people absolutely did get killed. There were a lot of fun minor characters along the way. Keith David, David Cross, and maybe my favorite of all in this, Vondi Curtis Hall, who for many years I was out on because he had some bad dialogue at the beginning of Die Hard 2 where he's a bad guy, but that was more Rennie Harlan's fault than his, I think. Here, he gets great dialogue. He got a good role as a pretty good guy who, like everyone else in Detroit, apparently got into some bad stuff here and there uh, all through life, and now is just up to his neck in it thanks to Clement Manziel. 
The other main character besides Raylan and Clement was Carolyn, played by Anjanu Ellis-Taylor, the defense attorney who wants to be a judge, and she also had a pile of trouble thrown at her from all sides. She brought a humanity to the show that uh, show that can otherwise often dip into style over substance. And then when we got to the end, and for fans of the original show, they just gave us a real treat. I won't get into it, but I spent the last five minutes of the finale this week with a big stupid grin on my face. I was thrilled with what they did. The finale of the original series was kind of perfect. The end of this was too, and I hope it's not the last we see of Raylan Givens. Highly recommend Justified City Primeval and the original Justified. The new series had been airing weekly on FX, but now that it's over, they've already put the whole season on Disney Plus along with the original six seasons. You want to play? Let's play. You want a shooting match? Let's go. So that was awesome getting some Justified back this week. Another one of our favorite shows came back this week. It was Ragnarok on Netflix. It's a Norwegian show about a high school boy who discovers he's actually Thor, the god of thunder, and some of his classmates are giants. They don't actually tower over him. They look like regular people, but they're thousands of years old and wield a lot of power, and they are enemies of him. Uh, Thor's real name, the kid, is Magna. He also has a family, a mom named Churid, who is the salt of the earth and has put up with way more crap than any mom should ever have to, and his uh, troublemaking brother, Loritz, who, of course, is Loki, as we know him. This season, Thor has forged his hammer Mjolnir and is really feeling himself. He knows how much power he now has and he lords it over the giants and everyone else. He has some other superhero type friends who last season kind of banded together to save the day. They've now disbanded and uh, Magna's newfound ego is not helping matters. In fact, it's kind of blinding him to some of the evil right in front of him as the giants prey on his new smug self and uh, try to come up with ways to separate him from his hammer so they can get at him because he's with his hammer. He's kind of indestructible. I'm halfway through the six episode third and final season on Netflix. I've really been enjoying it so far. Uh, you texted me last week, Brett, that it was ridiculous that these actors are still playing high school kids like 902ers. Uh, and I was as I was watching Magna sitting in class with a full beard looking literally like Bob Seger, uh, I had to agree. It was like, he does not sound like a 17-year-old or look like a 17-year-old. It's an interesting show, much more you know, kind of about the daily dynamics of the lives and any superhero action or anything like that. It's kind of Dawson's Creek of Dawson with Thor. Uh, one of the fun elements for me, obviously, is trying to figure out the context of some of the stuff the characters say, because it is in Norwegian with subtitles. Sometimes there's things I don't quite get, and I have to try to figure out if there's something about the translation, or if it's because there's something culturally different between Norway and Canada with respect to whatever the scenario is, or if it's just a young person thing and I'm too old and I just don't get it. Uh, so, for example, there was one scene where I'm pretty sure they must have just done a straight translation uh, that ended up reading weird because uh, Magna and a classmate were loudly arguing with each other in class. She yells a bunch of stuff at him and he fires back angrily and it says on the screen, measure your words. And obviously no teenager on the planet would use that as a rebuttal in English, but maybe in Norwegian it makes sense. So there's a little bit of that, which is commonplace for shows and movies from around the globe. I think it makes it more interesting. It's kind of a, just a fun uh, effect that those things have. Mostly I thought it was a solid start to the season. Again, I'm only halfway through. I've watched three of six, um, but am I setting myself up for disappointment at the end, Brett? You said you were a little disappointed. Maybe, uh, maybe not. You Maybe you won't be disappointed. I don't know. I won't go into any spoilers here, 
But I, I will tell you, the, the ending is weird, and it left a lot of fans mighty disappointed. Uh, well, first of all, once again, for a show about Thor, there is very little Thor in action, uh, which we saw in the first two seasons. Also, I really in, like, as in we saw very little action in the first two seasons. Also, I really enjoyed the first two episodes, and I, you, you mentioned it, how he's really into himself, and he enjoys being seduced by the power he now holds as the god of thunder who wields the might of the hammer mjolnir and how it all mixes in with the high school drama stuff because and maybe i don't know i'm not an expert on norse mythology but maybe that's thor's sort of journey in the mythology is that when he was younger he was arrogant and we saw that in the marvel cinematic universe we see it in the first movie where odin casts him out because he dubs thor as the greedy and arrogant young man so that's what we're kind of seeing here he he gets hung up on his own power and he becomes this jerk he becomes this character that we now hate but we're supposed to love him he's our hero so it was inevitable that that portion wouldn't last but the way that he pulls himself out of that tailspin i don't know it just didn't really carry any emotional weight and in fact the remainder of the season just kind of puttered along for me after that second episode i will say that the ending is quite interesting and the way that they edit the final episode is pretty cool but again it's just kind of weird and ambiguous there is some thor fighting action stuff and it's cool but it's not enough. And again, it's weird. And that's all I can really say. You got to see it for yourself. And that was my one real complaint about the first two seasons. The aforementioned lack of action. There's a moment near the end of the first season that makes us think, cool. So we're going to see some more of this in season two. And then nothing really until the end of season two. And again, we get this awesome scene to close out the season and we think all right we're going to get more of that but again not really it just sort of limped to the finish line in this season and this series because it's the series finale and it left some several plot threads just sort of dangling in a dumb way like plot threads with that should have serious consequences and implications and they just forget about them overall i enjoyed the series I'm glad I watched it. The cinematography is beyond gorgeous. Like, to me, that alone makes the show worth watching. All these shows from that part of the world, whether it's Norway or Iceland or Finland or Sweden, you, when you watch these shows, you just get some amazing views. And I also I really enjoyed the cast in this show, although, like you mentioned, I pointed out how old these cast members. Like Magna, the guy who plays the main star, he's now 23 years old. So presumably when they started filming this, he would have been 17 or 18. Yeah. So that's fine. But the actor who plays um, the the sort of the head of the giant family, the young head of the giant family, he's now 26. His sister is 26. And his brother, the actor who plays his brother, Lauritz, is now 31. <laughs> and he's got, like, crow's feet. He does yeah. not look... He, the others you can sort of buy. Like, you mentioned Magna with the, the big manly beard. That was ridiculous. But yeah. but the other two, particularly the sister, her name is Saxa. You could kind of buy that. But it was distracting. Very distracting. Uh, 
and just uh, you know, so I enjoyed the cast though, and of course the theme. Like I, I, I said, I'm not an expert on Norse mythology, but I was happy to explore it a little bit in a non-Marvel way to the point where I might actually try to learn a bit more about. Norse mythology. In the meantime, I guess I'll give the season and series overall three couch cushions out of five. It was cool, but just not super. It wasn't like the great finale that I was hoping for. But in the meantime, the bulk of my Norse mythology information will continue to come from the MCU. And a bit later in the show, I'll tell you what I thought of my rewatch of Thor and Thor The Dark World. Up next, we're going to tell you what's new at the movies this week, and a big one is getting a big delay. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes. One final note on Ragnarok, if you do watch it, we recommend, as always, to watch it in its native language of Norwegian and turn on the subtitles. Uh, That's how we prefer, but... Of course, with subtitles, you got to make sure you're paying attention. New in theaters this weekend, Denzel Washington and director Antoine Fuqua team up once more in the conclusion to a trilogy. It's The Equalizer 3. I understand pain. I understand suffering. But because of these people, I'm beginning to understand peace. Ciao, Roberto. You're one of us now. The mafia. They target the most innocent in our town. You took something that didn't belong to you. I'm here to take it back. You warning me? I'm preparing you. They will send everything they've got after you. I'll be waiting. Hurry up. The Equalizer 3. Rated R. In theaters September 1st. Jeffy recently watched the first one. Want to sum that up? Yeah, uh, Denzel plays just this regular Joe that works at a fake brand, uh, off-brand Home Depot. But uh, what his co-workers don't know is that he also has a particular set of skills. He used to be some kind of a secret agent man, and uh, he can kick some A when he needs to. And he uh, takes on the Russian mob uh, to defend a poor young lady, and he just uh, goes on a killing spree. It's it's an out-for-vengeance kind of movie. It's awesome. Did you see the second one yet? I have not yet. I'm going to watch it this weekend before I go see the new one this week. All right. And you may also recall the television show from the 80s starring Edward Woodward. And now there's another TV show starring Queen Latifah, which whenever it debuts its fourth season, will be back on Global. But who knows when that will happen with the ongoing writers and actors strikes. So the synopsis for The Equalizer 3, since giving up his life as a government assassin, Robert McCall finds solace in serving justice on behalf of the oppressed. Now living in southern Italy, he soon discovers his new friends are under the control of local crime bosses. As events turn deadly, McCall becomes their protector by taking on the Mafia. Who are you? The last thing you'll see. The last thing you'll hear. 72% 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that looks pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the strike delaying the Queen Latifah version on TV. It's uh, spilling into the movies now, too. A movie I was very much looking forward to this coming November has been pushed back several months. I am Paul Mordiva Trades, Duke of Arrakis. who can destroy a thing has the real control of it. Dune! 
Part 2, the sequel to 2021's Dune Part 1, won't be released in theaters until March 15th, four and a half months after its original due date. The reason, of course, is that ongoing actor strike, which bars the actors from doing interviews and promoting their films, which the studios still rely on to get the word out the week leading up to a movie's release. And I suppose in some cases, they're trying to spread out some of their content as well because they've, you know, lost production and writing time already. So that's a huge bummer, but I guess it gives us something to look forward to in March. Uh, it's happened to a lot of movies and shows already. It's only We're only going to get more of this sort of thing as the strikes drag on. It's sort of good news maybe for probably Oppenheimer on the awards front. If Dune isn't in competition this year, Oppenheimer has one less challenger for a lot of the technical awards at the Oscars. At least that's what I've seen a lot of online chatter about. But of course, the uh, Christopher Nolan and Denis Villeneuve nerds always just assume those guys are going to win everything and they never really do. So who knows? We'll see what's going on there. And this also gives me an opportunity to continue to kick the Dune can down the road because it's one of those <laughs> movies that I have been meaning to watch yeah. for a long time. I think you even, uh, we got a copy of the Blu-ray, I think, from yes, the do. studio. It's and on I had it in my well. possession. And then I eventually, you're like, well, I'll just hang on to it and watch it. And eventually I just handed it over to you, <laughs> having not watched it. And The uh, list never gets shorter, right? So... Yeah, it's on it's on Crave and uh, Netflix as well. So there are there is no shortage of opportunity for me to watch this movie. You now have the whole winter. I now have the whole winter. That's right, because I like to procrastinate. I'll wait until March to maybe <laughs> watch it. And up next, we want to tell you about a pretty cool teaser trailer that got Jeff's attention this week, and then got to get Jeff's follow up thoughts on the new Star Wars show on Disney, Ahsoka. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And last week, Brett talked about Disney Plus's new Star Wars show, Ahsoka. And this week, it's my turn. It's been a while. Things have changed. I started hearing whispers about Thrawn's return. It is time to begin again. Ahsoka, original series now streaming on Disney Plus. Uh, we're coming at it from two very different perspectives. Ahsoka, the character, has appeared in Star Wars lore before, aside from Rosario Dawson's previous appearances in The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett. There were a couple of animated series, uh, Clone Wars and Rebels, in which Ahsoka was a big deal. And unlike you, Brett, I've never seen those shows, so everything in the Ahsoka world is new to me. Mostly that pertains to pre-existing relationships with other characters. And uh, mostly it seems to work. They don't do a giant info dump about how Ahsoka and these other characters I'm learning or meeting for the first time, Sabine Wren and Hera Sundula and Ezra came to know each other and what their adventures have all entailed, but it's been fine. There are more than enough context clues to pick up the gist of it, and it's clear that they've made the show bearing in mind that a lot of people won't know who those folks are. Now, I can see how it might be better if you did watch Clone Wars or Rebels, that there are undoubtedly a lot of Easter eggs and references that'll only make sense to folks like you, Brett, that have seen those things, but I've found it easy to follow the story so far and I've really enjoyed it. Ironically enough, uh, I like that it's something new and original to me as far as Star Wars goes. New characters, new mission, new stakes, new worlds. There's been no Tatooine, at least not yet. I was getting very tired of going to that dusty, sandy planet. Um, it's a fun part of the timeline, too, I think, after the destruction of the Empire at the end of Return of the Jedi. But the New Republic is off to a rocky start. And, of course, it's, I guess, going to get worse before it gets better over the next 30 years before the events of uh, The Force Awakens, which is kind of tough knowing... Kind 
kind of whatever success Ahsoka has in her adventures, the bad guys will just rise to power again eventually. So I'm curious to see how it all plays out so far. Like I said, I'm enjoying it. I thought there were a couple of slow spots, but most shows have a couple of slow spots, especially in the early going. And oddly enough, it uh, feels like Ahsoka herself has been the least explored character in the first couple of episodes. And you're right, they've created some fun and interesting droids once again. Star Wars is very good at robots. So uh, I'm enjoying Ahsoka quite a bit. Uh, I think Andor is still my favorite, but Ahsoka is... For me, up there with the Mandalorian, so it's uh, I think it's way better than the Book of Boba Fett, and even better than the uh, Obi Wan Kenobi show. All right, and it, something interesting from Disney that I'm just seeing now, actually, that uh, Disney has taken. An, I'm just looking at an IGN article. Disney takes unusual step by revealing Star Wars Ahsoka viewership figure because when the first viewership numbers came out, there was a. Uh, uh, something called Samba TV and they it's a third party analyst and they estimated that 1.2 million households watched Ahsoka's premiere in the US so Disney's now gone out of their way to issue a statement and reveal that 14 million people watched Star Wars Ahsoka's premiere episode in its first week worldwide and it's unusual because they don't they haven't released numbers for their prior shows yeah. hmm. so i think there's a lot of people kicking up a fuss that the 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 sky is falling and the viewership is garbage i should you know there's always going to be we've talked about this before but there's always going to be this pocket of haters there's a there's a group of uh people out there who just have decided that they hate pretty much everything that Disney does. <laughs> yeah. And that they every decision they make is bad. And some of the things that they point out make sense. Like the, the first scene in Ahsoka where the two two of the, the the antagonists we are introduced to them. They're on this ship. And it's not really I mean, it's the first thing that happens in the show, but they, they're approaching this new Republic ship and the the captain of the ship says, Well, they have a code, and they say, it's an old code, sir. It checks out. It's an old Jedi code, which should have raised an alarm bell, like, what's going on here? So rather than, I suppose, try to speak to them or communicate with them, he's like, I'm going to call their bluff. Bring them onto the ship. And then naturally, <laughs> they they murder everyone and get what they came for. Uh, I, I sort of enjoyed the parallel they drew there to, it's an old code, old code yeah. sir, but it checks out. Get you like, onto that Endor moon, right? Yeah, that's right. So, but it just that that seemed rather convenient, and you often hear this term. It happened because the plot needed it to happen. And I would also point out the fact that the first the the thing that they're looking for in those first couple of episodes is this star map. Like, okay, so in right, the right. Force Awakens, they needed to find the map so they could find Luke Skywalker, and then in the third one, The Rise of Skywalker, they had to find the Sith Wayfinders so they could find the Sith planet of, planet of Exegol. And now they need this star map, which will potentially lead them to Grand Admiral Thrawn, who's the big bad guy, and maybe their friend Ezra. So it was like, how many maps <laughs> do we need to look for in Star Wars? Like, can we not come up with a different way? to get us from point A to point B. I know that's what a map does, yeah. quite literally, but 
I also think a lot of those people complaining about that, if they did something just radically different and came up with some kind of a brand new story, people would be like, well, that's not Star Wars. What is that? Yeah. It's, it's like, it just, there's a whole, I think, well, there's just a huge section of Star Wars fans that just live to complain about Star Wars, and they're just never going to be satisfied. Yeah, but I am glad to hear that you were able to follow it, and that was oh, another yeah. one of my friends concurred. He said that he, that he really enjoyed it. He loved the way the show looked. I think some of the action that we've seen so far on the show is really really cool like oh, yeah. they, the visuals they they're, you can say what you will about a lot of stuff that Marvel does but they don't mess around with Star Wars visuals no, that's true and um I guess we had a Mando season since Andor. Is that right? Yeah. I can't really remember cuz I was going to say the big you know we like I liked Andor a whole lot but there wasn't a whole lot of you know space fighting and stuff like that in there so it's kind of cool to have it ramped up again in Ahsoka. Yeah, the Mandalorian I think had some of the most exciting action we've seen yet in Star Wars, yeah. and we're getting some pretty cool stuff in Ahsoka as well, but with uh, three episodes down already, I feel like, okay, we really gotta, let's start moving along here because uh, I don't want this to end up... I, my fear, and I, I actually suspect now, we might not see Grand Admiral Thrawn until the end, and then it, that's going to be one of the... Because they announced those three movies, right? One of them is going to be about Rey, one of them is going to be about the very first Force user, oh, okay. like set thousands of years ago Good. and then the third one is going to kind of conclude i think conclude like the feloni verse the day feloni verse so it's going to incorporate ahsoka and the mandalorian and maybe the book of boba fett and they're all going to have to fight thrawn i assume yeah that's okay. what we're going for but right who knows maybe maybe he'll pop up in the next episode and they'll have <laughs> we'll have three or four episodes of awesome thrawn stuff so yeah, who knows? there you go okay what's this about ferrari yeah it's a teaser trailer for a movie i'm uh, very excited about coming out um well, i can't remember when it comes out i'm gonna look that up while we listen to the clip here <laughs> it's michael mann's ferrari if you get into one of my cars, you get in the wind. That's Adam Driver as Enzo Ferrari, who, of course, created one of the planet's most popular top-end sports cars. Uh, Penelope Cruz plays his wife. Shailene Woodley plays his mistress. And it's uh, drama and racing in 1960s Italy, directed by the man who brought his heat, The Last of the Mohicans, The Insider, Ali, Thief, Collateral, Manhunter, Miami Vice, among others. And it's the second portrayal of Ferrari in just the last few years. He was a minor character in 2019's Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, he was actually quite a minor character for having his name in the title. Michael Mann's Ferrari is expected at Christmas. Christmas Day, December 25th, but movies are getting pushed back to next year because of the strikes and so on, so I would suggest going forward that every release date is tentative until it happens, so don't plan your Christmas around Ferrari just yet. Hopefully, that still happens because uh, the teaser is great, doesn't really tell you anything, but it's a lot of real cool images cut together, a lot of fast-moving cars. It just it looks great, and uh, I'm always excited. Uh, Michael Mann has got a pretty good track record, although his last movie was that uh, Black Hat movie, which did, got terrible reviews and bombed hard at the theater. That, that was the one with Chris Hemsworth, right? Yeah. Well, as it turns out, in a moment, we got to tell you about a couple of Chris Hemsworth projects. And speaking of moving fast, I have a review of a film that I was surprised at just how much I enjoyed it. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes, now available on Crave. It just debuted last week, a movie that I missed in theaters. Quite frankly, a movie that most of us missed in theaters. But I think it's somewhat worth a look. It's The Flash. 
these scars we have make us who we are. If I could just go back, I could save my mom. I could save your parents. You could also destroy everything. What did you do? I have to undo what I did. I will help you. Interesting group. Are you in? You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. So, The Flash, you saw this in theaters, yeah, Jeff? I did see it in theaters. And what did you think? I, I and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I gave it uh, three and a half couch cushions out of five. I think, honestly, my biggest problem with it was a lot of iffy CGI in spots, especially uh, there's a part where it's a multi-universe thing, and there's a part where he's staring at a bunch of universes all at once, and... They, was, <laughs> there's some very cool stuff that happened there, but a lot of it actually looked really bad. Yeah, that's a good point, and I'm glad you brought that up. So the Flash, he's this—he's the Scarlet Speedster. He can run super fast, so fast, in fact, that he can run through space-time, and he discovers that maybe he can go back in time and save his mom from being killed. And in making his attempt... He bungles everything up, and they're they're essentially trying to reuse this as the reset point for the DCU. But this was a major storyline in the comic books. It was called Flashpoint, and when it was done, DC they had this thing called the New Fifty Two, where they all of their comics started over at number one. So this was a major major thing in the comic books. I have not read the Flashpoint series, and I don't really know a whole bunch about The Flash. I watched some of the television show starring Grant Gustin that was in the Arrowverse and the CW, yep. and I watched the TV show back in like the late 80s or early 90s, whenever that was on. But I will say this. Um, it was a flop. Like This was a... Uh, uh, the aforementioned flop buster. $108 million domestically. For a worldwide total of two hundred and sixty-eight million dollars, the budget is a, is being reported at around three hundred million. So they're projecting this is going to be about a two hundred million dollar loss Ouch. for Warner Brothers. That's make that's one of the biggest flops of all time. Part of that, I think, has to do with the fact that Ezra Miller, who plays the Flash. Is uh, let's just say he's had some problems. Yeah, he has. Uh, uh, it's surprising though because right before the movie came out, they were really leaning into the "Hey, Michael Keaton's in this movie as Batman, everybody," yeah. and that indeed is what brought me into the theater. But I guess uh, the nostalgia for nineteen eighty nine Batman isn't strong enough to make them enough money. I guess. Yeah, yeah, it was cool to see Michael Keaton uh, as Batman, and there there is a, a big chunk of this movie which I thought would be the one that I hated the most with. Uh, Barry Allen, the name of the Flash, going back and meeting a younger Barry Allen. And I thought two Ezra Millers on screen might be too much <laughs> or two Barry Allens because I don't like the way Ezra, they've, they've chosen to portray Barry Allen. I way prefer Grant Gustin in the TV show. But it actually worked out really well. And I you seem to remember you talking about some of the slang because when he goes back to this alternate timeline, essentially, there are slang words that they've just made up because it's not technically our world. Right. So I enjoyed the slang, and I enjoyed... I even enjoyed Young Barry. He was kind of annoying, but it turns out I th he had a really good heart, and he wanted to help, and there was some cool action. And you mentioned the, the, the looking back through time and the multiverse or whatever and the bad CG. The director tried to explain that away by saying, it's not meant to be photorealistic. These are representations of things that Barry has seen in his life and 
It's more abstract. I think they just cheaped out on the CG. They should have. I don't know why they didn't just use footage, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I thought the the climax was cool. It just got a little messy at the end. It, it was really messy, and I still they just like Avengers Endgame. They've tried. They've sort of created their own rules for time travel, and it feels like they don't quite follow them. So I don't. The, the the whole time travel aspect didn't I couldn't wrap my brain around it, uh, and it was just messy. But overall, I thought it was not bad. I enjoyed it, so I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Three couch cushions out of five, not bad for a movie that pops up on Crave. Much to my surprise, it was when I was looking for something to watch, I turn on Crave and like, oh, the Flash is here. Okay, so I watched the Flash, and then having watched season three of the Norwegian show Ragnarok which is about a reincarnated Thor, I decided to revisit a couple of earlier entries in the MCU, starting with 2011's Thor. You are a vain, greedy, cruel boy. And you are an old man and a fool! You're unworthy! Father, I now take from you your power, and I cast you out! So I don't have time to get into the whole thing here, but Thor stars Chris Hemsworth. Anthony Hopkins plays his father, Odin. They are the gods of Norse mythology. They live in this magical place out in space called Asgard. And Anthony Hopkins, Odin, gets mad at Thor, casts him out, sends him to what they call Midgard, but that is Earth, where he has to learn how to be worthy of the power of Thor. He's not worthy to carry the hammer Mjolnir so he has to kind of go on this journey of self-improvement and I just I still love this movie it's one of my favorites in the MCU Kenneth Branagh directed it I thought he did a great job of directing a story that could have very quickly become goofy and ridiculous the musical score is wonderful it's touching it's rousing Thor's theme music is terrific and the journey he goes on as a character well somewhat short-lived journey is great. He learns how to be a good man, and re-watching it again, you can see in this movie that Hemsworth really, even then, had the stuff of a big movie star in the making. And seeing Tom Hiddleston sort of become Loki, who's become such a major part of the MCU, is pretty cool. In the hands of another actor, they might have just wiped that character away and never looked back. And uh, it looks super in 4K on Disney+. Plus. So I highly recommend Thor and... I even watched The Dark World from 2013, Thor The Dark World, the much maligned The Dark World, viewed as the weakest Thor movie and maybe one of the weakest entries in the MCU. I always kind of disagreed with that assessment. I don't love this movie like I loved the first one, but it's an enjoyable affair. I'll admit the villains are sort of generic and boring, you know, dark elves, the bad guys who want to destroy everything, whatever. But uh, I enjoyed them both. Highly recommend vi- revisiting them both, particularly that first Thor movie, and I still got to rewatch Thor Ragnarok. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.